It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to the Irish Times Inside Politics podcast. It's Friday, May the 19th, and you're very welcome to this special edition of the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. Our pages are currently full of developments in the ongoing campaign for the leadership of Fine Gael and, by extension, the country between Leo Varadkar and Simon Coveney. And right now, at the time we're recording this at around half past 12 on Friday, it does seem to be quite clearly advantage Varadkar. But we wanted to take a step back from the horse race and look at what the context and the candidates represent for the country as a whole. And I'm joined in studio by our political editor, Pat Leahy and Fintan O'Toole, who's written extensively on this subject for uh, the weekend edition of the Irish Times, is on the line. But Pat, I wanted to go to you first. Who's in the lead? Well, yes, I think it's appropriate that before we poo-poo this fascination with the horse race that we... Uh, we, Rummi- we, we rummage into we, it. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah our uh, election tracker that uh, Fee Kelly has been managing currently has the scores on the doors at 36 members of the parliamentary party for um, uh, have declared for Leo Varadkar to 18 for Simon Coveney. So amongst the crucial parliamentary party uh, part of the electoral college, which takes up almost two thirds of uh, of the vote that will decide the next leader, Leo Varadkar is very comfortably in front, building what is beginning to look to me like an unassailable lead in the parliamentary party. And the weighting towards the parliamentary party is such that a a, a big advantage such as he has at the moment. And there are, you know, know, let's always add the caveat that there are many undecided TDs, or rather there are many uh, undeclared TDs and senators just yet. But, uh, But if Leo Varadkar can, as he appears to be doing, generate a very significant lead in the parliamentary party, then that will render it almost impossible for Simon Coveney to overhaul him amongst the councillors and the members. And I want to come to that in just a second, but just just to confirm there that on um, on 36 at the moment, that Leo Varadkar only needs one more vote to have a, an absolute majority of the of the parliamentary party element of the electorate, and that as you do as as you say, we're still up to 20 people who are undecided but are undeclared, those people are likely to look at that number and uh, that's likely to influence which way they jump to, isn't it? In, in any election like this that is decided, in which the electorate is serving, practising politicians, there's always going to be a group in the middle who want to back 
the winner. And I think what Leo Varadkar's strategy of pushing out all his support yesterday uh, did was convince them that he is going to be the winner. So you have this sort of momentum uh, in the parliamentary party, I think, now. People like, uh, who came out this morning, people like Charlie Flanagan and that, who would be seen as comfortable with either man, but will want to back a winner to maintain his position in uh, in Cabinet or to give himself the best chance of maintaining his position in government. We see them now moving into the Varadkar camp and really it's beginning to look like a deluge at this stage. Not, It's not done and dusted yet. There's nothing definitive about this yet but it's beginning to look that it's moving towards But the that. logic of what you're saying as well is that if Leo Varadkar is going to emerge from, from the uh, the parliamentary college element of this election with a, with, a, with a majority, probably a relatively substantial majority, well then for Simon Coveney to remain in the, remain in the race he would have to get a really significant majority in the other elements of the Electoral College and he'd and I don't think this comparison has ever been made by, uh, about Simon Coveney before he'd need to pull off a Jeremy Corbyn um, type type response from the membership and the and the councillors in order to reverse that and the the surveying that we have done of the councillors we haven't been surveying the members as such but uh, but the surveying of the councillors uh, thus far would tend to suggest that uh, things are a bit more even amongst the councillors but by 50 50 ish uh, amongst the councillors nothing remotely like enough for Simon Coveney to overhaul the lead that uh, that Leo Varadkar appears to be building uh, at this stage. You know, uh, if the Parliamentary Party continues on its uh, current trajectory, then Simon Coveney, Co- Coveney would need to win practically all the votes of the rest of the party and there's no evidence that that is either likely or happening. So Fintan, that's the horse race. We do love the horse race here but it seems to be going in one direction at the moment. But you have a very interesting piece as I say in the weekend edition of the Irish Times which essentially argues that this is a meaningless horse race because to use your own um, the, the, your own frame of reference the stakes are very low. Yeah, um, I, I was thinking about uh, uh, piece of advice that the playwright Tom Murphy once gave me <laughs> in relation to criticism, you know, where he said, he said, the only important question you should ask about any drama is what is at stake? Um, you know, and that's, that actually is a very um, illuminating uh, question to ask. Uh, you know, the drama might be very entertaining and there might be sort of lots of superficial stuff going on, which there is in this case. But when you ask that basic question of what's at stake, I think you have to say the stakes are pretty low. Uh, you know, you have two candidates who are of the same generation, uh, both from, you know, very comfortable middle class uh, Irish backgrounds. Uh, both went to private schools, uh, pretty expensive private schools. Uh, both really brought up in the generation for whom the new orthodoxies were those that followed the, the Thatcher Reagan revolution um, and have never shown any real interest in fundamentally questioning a lot of those uh, orthodox positions. Um, and I think most importantly, both of them have been tested, you know, in real crisis, uh, the real social crisis of Ireland at the moment. I think if you ask most people what are the two big crises, they would say the healthcare system, you know, and it's it's it's, it's chronic chaos uh, on the one side, and housing and homelessness on the other side. And as it happens, we have Leo Varadkar has has been minister for health, and Simon Coveney is currently dealing with with housing and homelessness. Um, and I think, therefore, what we should be looking at is saying, well, okay, th- these are the crucibles in which real leadership is going to establish itself. You know, if you want to see 
somebody who is really capable of taking an issue by the scruff of the neck and making a real difference, not just to the details of stuff, but to the whole direction of the way in which the society is handling these crucial problems for, 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 for ordinary people and their lives. But this is really where you would look. And I think when you do look there, what you see is you've got two very, very nice guys, very amiable, very decent, um, very capable professional politicians. But I would challenge anybody to say, if you if you look at their, the ways in which they've dealt with these two big issues, that you're seeing people who would automatically leap out at you as potentially great leaders. In, in, in a way, though, uh, I, I mean, I agree with part of what Finton says, but I think it isn't really surprising that uh, both of these, uh, you know, as you describe them, amiable young young men, I'm not sure if they qualify as all, all that young, but that is a moving line for all of us. Uh, well, uh, for, for me, they're young, I yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, they are, after all, running for the leadership of Fine Gael. It is not surprising that they are broadly conservative in outlook. It's not surprising that you would place them probably on the centre-right of the political spectrum. It is not surprising that their political credo isn't one of radical reform or that they haven't exhibited those uh, that philosophy in their ministerial career up until now because they are running for the leadership of, uh, of Fine Gael. Finton, I mean, I, I think uh, some people listening to this and some readers of the Irish Times will think it's not a surprise that Finton O'Toole is not impressed by the contenders for leadership of Fine Gael. Uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, and, and, and um, I, you know, I, I think I make it clear in my piece that I'm, I'm, I'm not uh, creating an expectation that these are, are socialist politicians. You know, they're not. Or that they're conviction politicians, because they're not. I mean, I, I listened to Pascal Donoghue this morning on Morning Ireland, you know, talking about why he was supporting Leo, you know, and when asked about what Leo's vision for Irish society was, you know, I mean, it was laughable. You know, you, 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 you could have written it on the back of an envelope a couple of slogans, I mean, nothing. But given that, right, so, so, so let's accept that, of course, this is why it's not a battle for the soul of Ireland. It's not even really a battle for the soul of Fine Gael because these guys don't differ very much uh, ideologically. But remember, we have had divisions in our political parties before that meant something. I mean, the division between... George Colley and Charles Hawley meant something. The division between Gareth Fitzgerald and, and, and Liam Cosgrave in Fine Gael meant something, right? So it, it is worth noting how bland even the internal divisions are at the moment, right? But I, I come back to the real issue. So let, let's take it that Leo Varadkar is most likely now to be the next Taoiseach. Let's look at him as Minister for Health. Now, to be fair to him, right, let, and let, let's say the positive things, he was, he was only there for two years, which is a relatively short period of time. He was there when he was dealing with a health service that had been really, really ravaged by so-called austerity. Um, and he did have one significant achievement. I mean, he did significantly expand uh, free at the point of access GP care, um, particularly to children under six, which was a very important progressive move. Now, it did come, it was a Labour Party policy, which was part of the programme for government. It had been set up by his predecessor, James Riley. Nevertheless, he implemented it, he got it over the line, and it's, 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 it's worth saying. However, what the astonishing thing he did was the single flagship policy of Fine Gael, and this is you know, to directly um, address Pat's point, this wasn't a socialist policy. This was Fine Gael policy. The big flagship social policy of that government, led by Andy Kenny, led by Fine Gael, was universal health insurance. 
we are going to tackle the outrageous apartheid in the health system whereby people's access to healthcare and therefore their chances of, of living are determined by their economic circumstances. That's a big social scandal. Fine Gael said it was going to tackle this, and Leo Varadkar was there to do this. This was the, James, to, this was the James Riley initiated proposal to yeah, do some so, version of the Netherlands' universal uh, health insurance yeah, scheme. Yeah. Now, you could argue, and I, I think quite rightly, that James Riley's uh, particular propositions were very problematic and needed to be looked at again. Uh, however, what Leo did, and he got away with it, was he came out and said, actually, we're not doing that. We're just tearing it up. I mean, he completely abandoned the policy. And he, he said he was going to put a new blueprint in place. He never did. And I, I'm pointing in the piece tomorrow to, uh, to me, an extraordinary speech he gave at the McGill Summer School as, as minister, right, where he, he talked. And actually, if you read, it's a very interesting speech, worth reading, because you would never guess it was given by the minister. It's like a kind of broad discourse on healthcare policy as if it was from the outside. And he has a tendency to do this. I mean, one of the reasons he's, he's so popular is that he, he, he's managed to put himself into a position whereby he comments on government policy or government actions as if he were an outsider and had no responsibility. But what he says in that speech is, and it's, I, to me it's absolutely astonishing, this is from the Minister for Health, I have no view on how the health service should be funded. I don't really care. He says, I am agnostic on this question. Now, this is a guy who's been a doctor who's worked in the hospital system, so actually has the advantage of really knowing how it works, and who is a professional politician. He's been in politics since he was in school. Now, where do politics and medicine overlap, most importantly, in the funding of health services? Oh, it's a really oh, key oh, question. Okay, and he says quite, quite openly, I have no view on this. I definitely get that point. I, want to, I, see, I see Pat, Pat not, not bridling here, but want, wanted to come up, because I think that's a very good uh, illustration of the kind of criticism of, of Leo Varadkar in particular, which a number of people have had, Pat, that, that he, he behaves as if he's not a politician, which actually contributes to his, his general popularity, but he, he managed to get away with things by not accepting responsibility. And in relation to this, and I think Fintan quite rightly says, this is a perfect kind of intersection of the two most important elements of his life, medicine and politics. He just kind of walks away from it. Yeah, I, I, I think I would add a couple of things to what uh, what Fintan says about his um, his role when he was Minister Minister for Health. You're right, he was put in in 2014 after the, uh, the, the midterm reshuffle of that government prompted by Eamon Gilmore's departure and at a time when uh, when the coalition government, uh, the Fine Gael Labour coalition government was under intense political pressure because of water charges, because of Garda scandals and then there came this uh, stunking defeat in the uh, local and European elections uh, which really rattled the government and from which it never really uh, recovered. But I, I remember writing about it at the, at the time that Leo Varadkar's uh, mission his political mission in the Department of Health at that stage was not to implement UHI, Universal Health Insurance. It was to make sure that UHI did not lose the next election for Fine Gael. He was put in there to dump it, not to, uh, uh, not, not to rethink it or reform it. And because there were a number of studies of it done at the time, particularly one by the Department uh, of Public Expenditure uh, at the time, and of course we're looking back at a time uh, during which public finances were under extreme, uh, extreme pressure for reasons that we're all familiar with, um, the Department of Public Expenditure ruled, uh, estimated that this scheme, Riley's UHI scheme, was going to cost not alone the state 
billions, but was going to cost uh, uh, taxpayers, our consumers of um, of the system, which which whose animating idea was to extend private health insurance, which is currently had by about forty five percent of the population, to the to one hundred percent of what the state subsidising those uh, people who could vote. No, I completely uh, while accepting the real politic of that, and that's also the realities of what that system was going to how it was going to operate and how it could have been Irish water multiplied by a hundred for Fine Gael at the next election. What about Finton's point, though, that uh, in the McGill speech, there's almost uh, there's almost a pride in there being no vision on this crucial issue for the yeah. you know no no opinion on how health should be funded. Yeah, I I, I think not to nah, not to speak for him, but I think what he was getting at is a sort of a a Blairesque approach to policy that he's kind of philosophically agnostic from a political point of view. What he's interested in is outcomes and what works. Blair famously said, you know, what works is good. And uh, and I, I think that's where he was coming from in terms of uh, in, in terms of his response on the funding of health and particularly the funding of healthcare under that uh, health insurance model because there was a policy wonkish debate as to whether uh, it was best delivered by a single private provider or single public provider or by a series of private providers which would mm. uh, compete with um, with one another on the broader uh, point that Finton raises about um, Varadkar's ability to maintain a distance from government, particularly in relation to uh, to aspects of government policy that are unpopular. I think that is pretty well grounded. He has been as much of a commentator as a participant on, uh, on government policy in some respects. Sometimes that has been constructive, I think. You know, he broke ranks to speak in defence of Garda whistleblowers at a time when that got him into awful trouble with his uh, with his colleagues uh, in government but on the uh, but on the question of such as Finton raises about health policy in that when he was uh, constitutionally responsible for its delivery he very often adopted that sort of distance that was not appropriate for a policy area that he's involved in Finton do you not see any sign of, at all um, you referred earlier on to the kind of the, the differences that existed between certain party leaders in the past in our center right parties which have always dominated our political landscape, for example, between Gareth Fitzgerald and Liam Cosgrave. And it seems to me that at least to some extent, uh, particularly Simon Coveney has been attempting to position himself as more the inheritor of the Just Society Gareth Fitzgerald tradition in Fine Gael. Yes, he has. I think um, uh, my concern is that this is coming pretty late in the day. So... I wonder, and not to be too cynical, but is there a relationship between the fact that Simon Coveney's campaign for the leadership has has lacked energy and focus, and he's obviously been losing out to Leo Varadkar? He seems to be kind of discovering or attempting to discover some kind of social democratic language, or at least in a very mild way, uh, to differentiate himself and, and and to make the point that he's not just a sort of you know milder version of Leo. Um, and maybe that's slightly unfair to him, but again, I think what we need to look look at is you know, so like how, how low are our expectations, right? So if our expectations are that it's okay to become leader of your country, having faced a crisis in healthcare, which, you know, cost people's lives, you know, which was actually made enormous amounts of, of really horrific, you know, moments for, for, you know, ordinary people, for elderly people, for sick people. If your main mission in that, as Pat says, was to, to sort of, you know, dismantle a previous government policy. If that's what you thought you were there to do, 
that's very low expectations. And I think you can say the same about Simon Coveney in terms of housing and homelessness. I mean, is this or is this not an emergency, right? And it really does, it does come down to a moral point. We have two and a half thousand children who are waking up, woke up this morning in hotel accommodation or emergency accommodation of one kind or another, which everybody accepts is an abuse of their human rights as children, right? This is, this is an appalling situation for a kid to be growing up in. You only have one childhood. You can't do this to kids. When, the, when that number reached 1,000, we all said, this is absolutely appalling. It's unacceptable. It's intolerable in a civilized society. We can't go on doing this. And what's happened? It's gone up and up and up and up and up. And it's gone up and up on Simon Coveney's watch as well. Now, I don't doubt that he is a decent human being, that he's concerned about this, that it worries him. But this is the limits of what we're talking about, right? That there, there's no sense at all of the intolerable. There's no sense at all that actually the housing crisis in Ireland is a, a national emergency. So, yes, he, he produced a plan, which at least is something, although it was pretty largely Alan Kelly's previous plan with, with some additions. And that's good. And he does seem to care about it. And there's some sense of dynamism there. But the plan itself is so, you know, bland and middle of the road and it has no sense of emergency. And it will not accept something that actually, you know, let's talk about Fine Gael, because Fine Gael in the 1970s, for example, would have completely accepted that it was part of the job of government to build social housing. You know, this was not a radical socialist view. It was accepted as part of almost common sense that the, the private market in Ireland or in any other society that we know of had never been able to adequately house, you know, maybe a third of the population. There's a lot of people who simply can't afford to buy a house. So it was accepted that the government builds social housing. So it, it, why is it so radical? Why are we asking so much or asking the impossible for a decent guy like Simon Coveney to be able to come out and say, I have been placed in charge of this, it's an emergency, and we're not going to solve it unless we have a major emergency national scheme of building social housing. So he's building some social housing, and it's typical, you know, which is let's do a bit of it, but then we're going to mostly buy our social housing from the private market, which means that there's no real increase in the housing supply, that the emergency response to homelessness has been, has been decent and well-intentioned, but is obviously not anything like adequate. And this is the the situation. You don't have to be a left-wing critic, I think, like myself, to find yourself in a position of saying, oh, is this the best we can do okay, in terms well, of a debate about who's going to be the okay, next Okay, well, taking that on board as a critique, then, 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 then Pat, uh, given that it's not a surprise that the contenders for the leaders of a centre-right party largely see centre-right solutions, i.e. market-driven solutions to, to problems, but taking that on board and taking Finton's point about a specific emergency, this seems to me, in a way, to be a quintessentially Fine Gael response from what I know of the 80-year history of the uh, of the party, which is to take a moderate, not to say slightly um, lily-livered approach informed by whatever the received wisdom of the day as pervaded by the broadsheet newspapers published in the capital city would, would say it should do. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> if I precisely characterise this. Uh, well, the broadsheet like newspapers but have changed over the years, of course. Uh, like, I think that, on the broader point, right, uh, uh, about these sort of issues being like, as Finta correctly um, uh, diagnoses, the two big pressing social issues within the purview of government to act directly on uh, are, are housing and, uh, and 
the health service. Yeah, but the, they're not just issues that. Are, sorry, just 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 to say, they're not just issues that specifically affect this government. In both cases, the roots of those issues go back generations. Actually, the roots of the malaise in the in the health system sure, but they are and amenable. the issues surrounding property and home ownership. Sure, but they are amenable to a greater or lesser degree to direct government action. Sure. What we have seen so far in this and uh, in, in this leadership contest, which has been, let's face it, going on at at least a subterranean level for several months, and I suspect an awful lot longer in the case of Leo Varadkar. But we have seen very little political positioning from, or, or the expostulation of political philosophy or policy plans from any of, uh, any of the candidates. This entire process is being driven by Fine Gael's interests and within and all of the the, the relative strengths or otherwise of the uh, of the candidates are being seen through the prism of their uh, of their uh, how much they appeal to Fine Gael and, mem- and des- members and of the Fine Gael party says is that not true of <coughs> most of the leadership elections for Fine Gael well, and th- Fianna Fáil in recent is, memory I think this is, perhaps it is I'm not sure that we should necessarily be content to accept that, though, because this isn't just a, a contest for the leader of Fine Gael. It's a contest to identify who is best to be the next Taoiseach. And at the very least, we should expect some, over over the coming weeks, we should expect some degree of debate about issues such as the ones that Finton raised. Not only those, of course, but uh, but other ones, of course. And you can't have those without, you know, reference to the, uh, you know, the philosophy and the belief system of of, uh, of of each of the candidates. I mean, let's be very clear about it that Fine Gael has got rid of Enda Kenny because they were afraid of fighting an election with Enda Kenny as leader. They haven't even, so far at least, they haven't even pr- bothered to pretend that this is actually about the national interest, which is, as a political observer, what I would expect them to do, whether it be about their own interest. It's kind of refreshing, that, really. That they would, uh, uh, that they were, maybe we should welcome uh, that, that degree of honesty. But I think if this leadership contest is to mean anything other uh, to any of us, other than uh, Fine Gael members, it has to uh, enter into that territory over the coming weeks. Do you agree, Fintan? Yes, I do. I mean, uh, but I I have no enormous expectations that it's going to. Um, And I think this is our problem, Uh, you know, if we we stand back from this. I mean, we have a, you know, a political culture which is dominated by the centre-right, the two two main centre-right parties. We should be grateful for that in some ways, you know. We don't have a neo-fascist party, for example. Um, and, uh, you know, there, there's, a, there's a, some advantages to the stability of our political culture. But the downside of it is that um, there's a complete inability to articulate any sense of direction, any sense of vision, any sense of priority. And what we get then is we, we get continual muddling, getting by, leaving the status quo pretty much as it is, tweaking it here and there. And so this leaves enormous numbers of people outside of the status quo. So, I mean, if, if you're like Leo or you're like Simon and you went to a good school and you've had a good job and you were well-educated, Ireland is a fantastic place to be. You, 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 you can probably buy your way out of any healthcare problems, or at least most of them. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a stable environment. The, the economy is ticking along reasonably OK. Um, so it's all fine. And, and let, let's be honest, there will be lots of people who will be perfectly happy with, with either Leo or Simon. You know, it won't make the blind bit of difference one way or the other. They're nice guys. They'll represent Ireland. They won't embarrass us abroad. They'll do all the basic stuff very well. 
However, uh, if you're not within that kind of Ireland, if you're having to go to the A&E with your elderly parent and watch the kind of slow torture and humiliation of a human being, if you're on uh, in a, a housing system whereby, let's remember what we do, we, we, we offer housing assistance to people knowing that the housing assistance locks them out of 88% currently of, of properties that are available to rent cannot be afforded by people on the level that we say we will we will we will pay uh, you know the, the amount of just sort of day to day viciousness and cruelty that's going on in the society this is a society which almost uniquely in the developed world doubled child poverty in less than a decade and it, 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 i mean it, if you think any of these things are problems if, i mean if, if, if you think as pat said that these are things that are actually amenable to government action right they're not just god given things they they, they have roots. They're, they're part of our um, the way in which we've done policy, the way in which we've, we've done governance over decades. Now, if you think that those things can be changed and should be changed, then I think you have to say that there is a problem with a, a bland centre-right consensus, which is really just about holding power and has, has no other great ambitions other than just kind of getting, getting into the highest office and holding it for as long as you possibly can. That's the kind of politics that we've had. We know what underpins it, which is a kind of clientelist way of doing politics. We also know that that led us into an enormous crisis in, 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 in 2008, um, from which large parts of the country and large parts of our social uh, order have still barely recovered. And we know that it will probably do so again. So one of the things we know, you know pretty much, is that if we go back to the housing issue, we know that our housing um, system is still utterly dysfunctional. I mean, our entire housing market, our entire way of providing housing is completely dysfunctional. And We're all watching it like I a think. slow car crash and saying, here it is, it's all going to happen again. You know, it's, it's as dysfunctional as it was, not maybe in 2006, but certainly as dysfunctional as it was in 1998 or 1999. And so we're kind of building back into it. At what point do we say that actually we need leadership? You know, we need actual leadership. And leadership comes from people saying, Look, there's a really fundamental problem here, and this is not going to be easy. It's going to require a certain amount of prioritization. It's going to require really hard choices. They talk about hard choices. They never make them. Let's make some really hard choices here. Let's prioritize some of these things. I, I just don't have any huge confidence that either Leo or Simon is going to be the person who's going to be interested in doing that. Let me give Pat a brief last word on that then. Well, uh, I'll give you two last words. So just uh, just to say that I, I think that um, the, the housing issue is one of the ones that is probably the principal one that... You know, we may judge the performance first, the pitch, and then the performance of the uh, of the next leader. Because you know, to to go back to Finton's point about Ireland is is fine if you have a particular sort of place uh, in society. I, I, you know, I think. You think kind of most Fine Gael voters probably have private health insurance to, you know, to make a very crude generalisation, but I, I suspect that is largely true. But most Fine Gael voters now, the housing 
crisis, particularly for young people, including young professional people working in Dublin who, you know, might be politically attracted or certainly would be familiar to Leo Varadkar. They are people who are now experiencing very great difficulty in, uh, uh, in, in simply getting a place to live, not to mind owning their own home or, or cultivating the prospect of owning their own home. So I think that the housing crisis is of sufficient magnitude to that it is becoming an issue for, uh, for Fianna Gael beyond uh, the purely socially concerned wing, um, if, 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 if you know what I mean. The other thing um, that I think is worth just mentioning uh, at, the, uh, at, at the end is the extent to which this change of leadership will represent uh, a generational change in Irish politics, certainly the greatest generational change, you know, uh, in in the period that I've been observing politics. I mean, leadership is moving very obviously from from the end of Kenny, Michael Noonan generation to a generation of baby boomers to Gen Xers, forty forty something people, and I, I think that that will, I think we underestimate at this stage the extent to which that will look and feel and appear different. And those the social real and test, cultural things have an impact as they, well. They do, of yeah. course, but the real test, uh, I suppose, for that change of government is whether it begins to to utilise that novelty and the opportunity provided by that novelty to make the sort of constructive changes uh, that, that people, including and especially people of that generation, would like to see. I suspect we will be returning to this subject on several occasions in the near future. You can read Finton's thoughts on this subject in this weekend's Irish Times and Pat and his team will be continuing to cover the horse race and matters related in the next few weeks. Thanks very much to both of you for joining me. And that's it for this edition of Inside Politics. We'll be back very soon, but remember you can find me on email at hlinehan at irishtimes.com or I'm always available on Twitter as well. Thanks to our guests and see you next week. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.